Vineyard Westside welcomes everyone. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. Come as you are, because we believe that love wins, period. Hello. Hey. Hey, thank you for being here. It's good to see you guys. It's kind of bright. I can only somewhat see you. There you are. I'm adjusting. Hey, thanks for coming out on... um, it's a pretty rotten day outside, but um, it, it's not bad in here. So thanks for coming. Hey, if you were not here last Sunday, we opened up a, a new series called Winning the War in Your Mind. And uh, we're just going to do a couple parts. I want to do a little bit more on this today. Um, we have kind of an abbreviated message since we walked through the the new app and that that thing is going to be really good for us but today I want to dig in a little bit deeper into the winning the war in your mind idea Uh, last Sunday we discussed a lot of things around that that um, you know there's for I I don't know I don't know what the average age is here. I think about it a lot that I'm going to be 40 soon. It's coming up. And uh, I think that's the middle. I think. And things are pretty good. They're pretty decent. And man, I still find all kinds of stuff to complain about. And I still uh, find things that I struggle with and things that I argue back and forth in my head about. And basically just that your mind is a battlefield, and that most of life's battles are won or lost in your mind. The life that you end up having is often a reflection of the thoughts that you're thinking. And so you may have met people before who you just think you're in awe of them because, man, they're just so happy. They're, they just, everything seems to man, how, how do I get some of that in my life? They're just always in such a good mood. And, and if you get to know these people more, you'll find out that they have the same problems you do, that they go through struggles, that they haven't just hit the lottery. Uh, it's just the way that they're approaching things. Last week, we talked about um, basically the things that come into your mind, they, they end up coming out in your life. And you can't have... A positive life if you got a negative mind. Second um, Corinthians in chapter 10, we read this. Paul says, For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Last week we were talking about strongholds. It says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Last week we dug into um, just one of these things that I find to be really cool and interesting Uh, that are neural pathways in your brain. 
uh, that there are these little grooves, essentially, that can form, these neural pathways that basically, the more often you think a certain thought, the easier it becomes to think that thought again. And so if you've replayed a certain something again and again in your head, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pop up it's going to pop up instantly uh, with all sorts of different things. And you're just digging this rut deeper and deeper. And it could be a good thing or a bad thing. But today, I want to talk about another part of that that uh, is known as cognitive biases. Cognitive biases. And basically, a cognitive bias is like a, a mental filter that you run things through. It's a mental filter that you, every, everything that kind of comes into your brain has to pass through this, this certain thing. You have cognitive biases about things. A cognitive bias, uh, scientifically, is explained as in it, it could be a mistake in reasoning that's based on a personal experience or preference, um, that it's a mental filter that... It impacts the way that you think. So here's what I mean. Um, A cognitive bias would be something like this. Um, I've met many people before who grew up around abusive men. They grew up around abusive men um, throughout their life. And so therefore, it is always hard for them to trust men. It's just... This, this has been my experience all the time. It's like, well, you can't trust men. Men are going to hurt you in some way. That's a, a cognitive bias. I've heard people discuss that w- when they were growing up, one of the common sayings throughout their house was that rich people are bad in some way. Basically, that rich people are bad. That uh, anyone who's wealthy is not to be trusted because they either uh, stole to get there or, or they're, they're not going to help you in any way. And so rich people are bad, and this would lead to, uh, I've had friends who have felt guilt when they started to become successful. They started experiencing this guilt, this feeling of, oh, wait a second, am, am I rich now? Am I wealthy? Am I, am I bad what, what kind of things am I doing? And it's just a, a cognitive bias. It's a filter that you have that shapes how you see life happening. Today we're talking about filters and frames. Um, if you use Instagram, you know about filters. Anybody use Instagram a lot? Come on. Anybody? Favorite filters? I like Lux. That's me. Instagram was wonderful because it came along and it did this thing that had to happen because if you started getting involved in social media and you had that bug, that itch, I need to, I need to show the world my face. And all of a sudden you flip on that front-facing camera and you're like, whoa! So you're laying back on the couch like, Nr-r-r. Instagram's like, we got filters that's good. That'll make you look better. We have filters that will make your food look more impressive. We have filters that will make that landscape shot 
that you're, you're just taking a picture of a glass of water on a table, but they're going to think you're at the beach. <laughs> Filters that will alter the way that it looks and the, and the feel of it, too. You can do warming filters or cooling filters or uh, filters that are high contrast and moody, and they can bring a certain feel, not just a look, but a feel to it that I'm feeling this way. Snapchat's even better with it. Snapchat's got the super advanced ones and the video filters, and um, you know what? My day is pretty boring and... Uh, I, I'm, I'm dressed like I haven't been out of the house in four days because I haven't, and um, nothing exciting. To, they got this filter, though, that looks like a party's going on in here. And I can put a cat nose and whiskers and ears on me, and people think I'm fun, and even though, even though I'm in a rotten mood, they can change the way that you look and the way you feel. Cognitive bias is a, a filter that ends up changing the way that we interpret certain things. This is the reason why uh, two different people will respond very, very differently to the same situation. Two different people who've grown up to create different cognitive filters in their brains, they'll respond very differently to the same situation. Not that the facts about this situation are different, the facts could be the same, but their filter is different. Um, have any of you had, a, maybe at your workplace or at school or even with friends or family, you were invited to be given feedback about how you're doing? We're just going to sit down and give you some feedback. We want to let you know how you're doing. And for some of us, this is like instant anxiety attack. Like, oh, God, feedback. Is feedback a bad word? Like, is it, does that mean something bad? No, it's, it's feedback. And so there are going to be two different kinds of people who receive feedback. There are going to be people, people who walk away from it offended every time. Anything that they're given feedback on. Yeah, you know... Um, you, you might work on uh, just um, cleaning this up a little bit. The, the, this part of it, most of these things are good, but um, this part of your work is a little bit sloppy. Or, um, you know, it might be better to try this instead. And some people are going to walk away. They're just going to be offended no matter what the feedback is. And other people are going to leave and be thankful. And be excited and be appreciative that, man, I, I couldn't see that. I have been called into meetings before where I had to sit down and have the panic anxiety attack because I was going to receive feedback. And I was going to be told how I was doing good and how I was doing bad. And some of these meetings were with work, some were with friends, some were with uh, just, <laughs> I've had to sit down in this setting multiple times, and I've been offended some of the time. As I, I've kind of grown a bit and started to realize what was being given to me, I've been more thankful. I've 
recognize, you know what, that's a thing that I, or, or maybe it's a thing that I even knew, but I just couldn't ever, I couldn't ever admit it about myself, or I couldn't ever face it, or maybe it's just, I was blind to it. I had no idea that I was doing that thing that was, that was not working. Thank you that you told me. Thank you for revealing it. Thank you for, thank you for believing in me and wanting me to do better and not not firing me or not ending our friendship or not. It's a different filter. Some people will hear the word church and their filter immediately leads them to, well, that's where just judgmental, hypocritical Christians are. Church is, no. Other people hear the word church and they're like, oh, that's the place where you can feel God where you can experience him, where you can know Jesus, where you can be loved and accepted. It's a different cognitive filter that you would have. Some of us, we read different news sources and watch different TV shows and, uh, you know, read different articles. And think, the one thing I've noticed is I can't figure out this vaccine. Like, I'm trying to research it, but apparently... It's the answer for everything, or it's going to kill you. Which one of those filters do you have? Like, I'm not taking that. It's going to kill me. Or it's going to solve everything. It's a certain filter. Uh, in, the, in the book of Numbers, in the Old Testament, Old Testament of the Bible... There's an interesting story in here. I don't have the scripture for up on the screen. I just wanted to, I was going to read through some of it. I don't know how much I'll be able to, to do, but in the book of Numbers in chapter 13 and 14, this is way back in the Old Testament. It, it's about here if you're looking for it. <laughs> Numbers chapter 13. This is an important story. It is where Moses has been, uh, he's been given this, this promise of a, a land where he and his people can go. Now, Moses has been wandering around forever, and uh, he's got a lot of mouths to feed, and they're looking for a home, a forever home, and he has been given this promise of a land that is going to be for him and his people, but they don't know who lives there, or if it's hostile, or if it's, if, it's, if it's good to go to, or anything, and they have to check it out. And so this story is about exploring the land of Canaan. It says, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. These are their names, and it goes on for quite a bit. I'll skip all the names. Verse 17 says, When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and into the hill country and see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak or if they're few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or are they fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? 
do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. Is there fruit there? (laughs) Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and they explored the land from the desert of Zin and yada yada. They they go and they explore the land and they're checking it out. And so the the men have to come back and report on it. Now, Moses has sent 12 spies to go and check the place out and kind of creep up and, and peek over the bushes and go, what is this place like? It says in verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. They reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. They said, we went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak that were there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses, and he said, we should go in and take possession of the land. So he's like, okay, we got the report, we should go in and take it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people, they're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. They go on and on. Essentially, of the 12 spies that go and explore this land that they've been promised, two of them come back and they report on it and they say, it is so great. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And we should go and take it. It's the land that God promised to us. Like, let's, let's go. Let's, let's do it. Ten of the spies, they saw the same thing. The facts are all the same. Ten of the spies said, that land devours people. Have you seen the size of the people that live there? They, we are like grasshoppers, and they are like people that kill grasshoppers. <laughs> We cannot go and take that. This is a horrible idea. And it's just one of those stories that just remind that there are, you know, there are filters. You can see the same thing, but you can interpret it completely different. Not just filters that you see things through, but also the frame that you put around it. The frame that you put around it. The same situation can be framed in different ways and it can totally determine the way that you see it. The thing I want to talk about quickly today is just the idea of reframing something. Reframing. Reframing is creating a different way of looking at a situation or a different way of looking at a relationship by changing its meaning. And so you can reframe um, just... You know, you you could see it a certain way, but the framing of it, it's like you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. I remember hearing a a story from uh, a guy on the radio, a Christian radio show 15 years ago or something when I was very 
early on in the faith, and just uh, it was a he, he the the story was about how he had had worked his whole life and had always been very wise with his money, and uh, but he always drove the crappiest car in the world, and eventually when he was in his late fifties. A deal came along where, and he was embarrassed about it because he didn't want to. He didn't want to look too fancy or anything. But he was able to get an almost brand new BMW, and it was like the first car he'd ever had that wasn't 30 years old. And he was trying to not be too excited about it, and just having the right kind of mindset. Like, yeah, God gave me this thing. I didn't. I was not looking for it. God gave me this BMW. He had it for one day, one day, and he pulls out somewhere, coming out of a grocery store, and somebody smashes into the side of him, and he's like, well, God, I don't know why you wanted me to drive that car around for a day, but I, it's, it's yours. I, I don't, I'm sorry that it happened to your BMW. Like, what, what, should, we, what should we do now? And it was just an interesting, it was just an interesting thing. I, I would think about how crushed I would be that finally I have this, and it was just kind of instantly gone. But he just framed it in a different kind of, a different kind of light. Maybe you wanted a certain something in life, and you ended up experiencing the opposite. I have friends who worked super hard for a degree in college and then they went to get the job that they were supposed to get to pay off all this debt that they had now and now it was time to acquire the dream job right and then one after another they kept being overqualified for the jobs they were going after in that field and they ended up having to work in something completely different entirely different and you know, some of them are going to frame it differently than others. That, you know, this is not what I was going after, but God ended up leaving, leading me down this path, and it ended up being just something way cooler than I, than I ever imagined. The Apostle Paul is um, a bit of a famous story about thinking things were going to go a certain way, and them being very different. Paul had a dream that he was going to travel to Rome, that eventually he would preach the gospel all over the world, but he would end up in Rome, and that he imagined he was just going to be a preacher there. Well, Paul did end up in Rome, but he was a prisoner. He's immediately locked up. He's transported there, and this is where he would spend... Uh, kind of the remainder of his life. And so it was this picture of a dream kind of going down the drain that I thought I was supposed to come here to be a pre- like this is, I was, God, you had told me this is. And Paul could have framed the situation um, maybe the way that I would have. Here, here's a new version of the Bible. It's not uh, published yet. I call it the New Winers version. It would be something like this in Philippians chapter 1. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really sucks. As a result of the hell that I've been going through, 
I've decided I'm quitting life group and I'm never going back to church. Thanks for nothing. Get bent. <laughs> the real version, though, is a picture of the way Paul reframes something. In Philippians 1, Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, so what had just happened to he, he was promised Rome, he thought he was going to be preaching the gospel, and just th- this, was, this was the dream landing setting, job setting. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And so what, what most people would think is really, really bad, all of a sudden Paul starts framing this as a good thing. He's chained up, and he says, yes, I'm chained up, but guess who I'm chained to? I'm chained to the most influential Roman guards. There's a new guard that comes in every eight hours, and it's just enough time for me to reset and start sharing the good news in a different way, and I'm practicing it. I'm getting better every time, baby. And these guards are listening, and some of them are changing their thoughts. It says in verse 14, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He reframes this story. And so it's, you know, this was the picture I had in mind. And yes, some of you would go, oh, this just, this just sucks. Like this is a letdown. He reframes it. One of the ways that you can reframe things is beginning to, I, this is just one of the things I, I try to do. Um, this isn't, a, I, I don't have any exact place in scripture to say, do this. I do this. I thank God for the stuff that didn't happen. I thank God for the stuff that didn't happen all the time. If something is going wrong, I'm like, God, thank you, though, that, thank you, though, that when, uh, when stuff was rocky and we we weren't in a connected place god thank you that my wife didn't leave and god thank you that when our house flooded and uh it it kind of ruined everything inside of it god thank you that our house was long enough that we could go over off to this one side and not be walking around in sewage water. God, thank you that even though um, our, you know, our heating bills through the winter are, are crazy, God, I thank you that, I thank you that the power didn't have to be turned off. God, thank you for the things that didn't happen. There's a, a classic story about a, a girl who goes away to college and she's communicating back and forth with her parents uh, every few days through emails and, and whatnot. And she, she sends an email to her mom and dad and says, I, I have some pretty big news. There is a, a guy that I met at a bar 
and I've been trying to figure out a way to tell you this, but I'm pregnant. Um, it's not bad news, though, because his probation is going to be over in about a year. And he says that he's going to start looking for a job once he finishes up his rehab stint. He's considering marrying me, but we know that we can't afford it right now. So we're going to move in together to try to save money. And then it just dot, 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 dot. And she says, actually, none of that is true, but I did get a D on my chemistry exam. And... <laughs> I just wanted you to know it could be a lot worse, so please don't freak out about it. Thank you, God, for the stuff that didn't happen. Missed certain goals at work, and so you didn't get a bonus this year. I didn't get a bonus, but thank God I didn't lose my job. Got into a car wreck. The fender is smashed. It's expensive. Thank God nobody was hurt. Thank God we're all fine. Yeah, it was expensive, but the whole, in the whole scheme of things, it wasn't that big of a deal. Most things aren't. Thank you, God, for the things that didn't happen. But thanking God for the stuff that didn't happen is where you start to recognize you're blessed. Where I've been walking in favor this whole time and I didn't realize it. So you can thank God for things that didn't happen and it'll help you to reframe things in a different way. The other thing I would say is you can practice pre-framing things. You can practice pre-framing certain thoughts that come in, certain experiences that you have. You pre-frame things to where uh, you're, you're not going to let yourself... You know, one of the things I, I always struggle with is um, just, oh man, that's going to be hard. That's going to be hard. Like, that's going to be so, man, I don't feel like doing that. That's going to be hard. One of the ways that I have started to pre-frame this in a different way is that, yeah, man, this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun because I like challenges. I like learning. I like growing. I like becoming good at things that are hard and doing them again and again to, to the point where all of a sudden they're easy. Another one for me is uh, I can't stand going to anything. <laughs> I can't stand going to events or restaurants or like I just the idea of going somewhere I can't stand it. I get there and it's always good, but it's the buildup. Oh, what do we got? Why do I gotta go to this? I gotta put pants on. <laughs> just trying to reframe that. And I don't care where I'm going. I'm going there with my family. I'm going there with my... I'm going, my family wants me to be there. They like me that much. My daughter wants me to be at her soccer game. What? Man, I get to go to this soccer game that my daughter wants me to be at. Pre-frame it. One of the things that I did... Um, you know, multiple times growing up when I was, uh, I remember being in wrestling in high school and also taking part in like motocross events. I did motocross racing and 
uh, racing through the woods. These, they're called hair scrambles, where you go through these pretty crazy um, obstacle courses. And I remember just one of, the, one of the best ones ever is I invited my dad to come and see me for a certain race um, because I said, yeah, you're going to want to be at this one because I'm going to win. You'll, you'll want to be, I'm going to win this one. So you should probably come to this one. Because one of the thoughts I would have all the time is I'm going to choke. Oh, man, if my dad shows up for whatever reason, I'd, I'd be doing great if he's not there, but dad shows up for the wrestling match and I choke. And it's like I do something goofy and I, I get pinned in front of him or I lose the race, or I wreck, and I have to go to the hospital, or whatever. And, and so the thought was, I'm going to choke. And I had to change it to, no, I'm great under pressure. I want more pressure. If Dad's going to be there, I'm great under pressure. I'm going to win, so you're going to want to be at this one. Thank God for stuff that didn't happen. You can start to pre-frame things. The last one that I would say is you can look for God's goodness. If you want to get a new filter, you want to start framing things differently, you can look for God's goodness everywhere you look. We've talked about this recently, but it is, it's an important thing. You're going to find what you're looking for. Vultures find rotten stuff because that's what vultures look for. They're looking for rotten, dead, dying things. Hummingbirds find sweet things. That's what hummingbirds look for. And so hummingbirds aren't finding the dead squirrel. They're finding, they're finding the little half a cup of Gatorade that that kid left on the, the patio table for them. They're finding the little feeders. They're finding the flowers. They're, it's, it's the thing that they're looking for, and so it's the thing that they find. Are you going to be a vulture that's looking for rotten stuff, or are you going to be a hummingbird that looks for sweet things? If you want to see bad, negative, it, it's, it's too challenging, it's too hard, you'll see that. If you want to see the good, the positive, and the opportunities that you have, you end up seeing those things. One of the things that I've heard a million times, and I'm trying not to say it myself, this is the worst year ever. This is the worst year ever. Just the worst year ever. Is it the worst year? I mean, is that what you're looking for? Is that, because we're, we're making it worse saying that. I got to think about the other things that have been going on. The, during this quarantine, I felt guilty for the longest time because I'm like, is it just me or do I love quarantine? Like, I feel like I'm not allowed to share this. I'm like, is it just me or because I really love uh, the emotional, spiritual, everything connection I've had with my wife and my kids during this time. I've loved that we like each other more now. I love that. I, I know so many married couples who are going crazy because they've been locked up together and, and they're having a hard time dealing with it. And then I ha there's other ones that are like, the, the, the pregnancy news is starting to come in. 
Well, they, they decided to do something else with their time. I love that uh, this was an opportunity for us that I, I don't know if we would have had before, but quarantine happened, and so my wife was able to study like crazy real estate laws and rules, and she has now passed her practice test and is getting scheduled uh, for her real one to become a real estate agent. And it's just something that she has always, it's just something she's always had an interest in, but it's like, when, when the heck are you going to find the time to do that? Here you go. <laughs> Quarantine time. I love that, um, you know, before the quarantine, me and my kids did not play the hat game. <laughs> we throw hats across the room and try to land them on each other's heads. <laughs> and we were getting pretty good. <laughs> and we're getting further and further apart from each other. And this might sound like a game that could go for like two minutes. Not if you're training for the Olympics. <laughs> it used to be, you know, 100 throws in a row and you couldn't land one. It, a hat that fits well and you get it to just stick. Thunk. That's, a, that's a satisfying feeling you need to feel. <laughs> used to be 100 throws in a row, no good. Now we're like, that's three in a row landed, four in a row landed. If God works in all things for the good of those who love him, uh, what that means is that we, we have to reject the unhealthy filters and frames, the stuff that uh, just doesn't have a place. Um, reframing means not passively just receiving circumstances that happen to you. It means actively interpreting stuff a certain way. That, well, whatever happens, you know, that's one of the things in our, in our house that we, we just can't be defeated. We've had every possible thing go wrong. And we'll hear other people talk about their, oh, yeah, we have so many issues with our house. Our, ah, man, the need to repaint. I'm like, repaint? Man, our roof fell in. This happened. A tree fell through the house. It flooded. Like every possible thing. And we're, but, but who cares? We can handle anything that comes at us. And it's just a, it's a filter that we're going to lay over everything. Whatever it is, we're going to crush it. And it's not interpreting like God through my circumstances. It's interpreting my circumstances through the goodness of God. Whatever my circumstances are, starting to put that filter on it. Well, what is, what, what is God looking at, at this like? What, what would he want me to learn or how would he want me to, to navigate this? Paul says, what has happened to me actually has served to advance the gospel. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control the way that you frame it. I... I I'm going to close, but I just, so the thing that's been driving me crazy is that in talking about filtering things and framing things, so here's one that's driving me nuts, uh, the Equality Act. 
is happening. And this was something I wasn't paying attention to because I hate politics. And so I'm like, yeah, okay, a thing is going on. I do not care. And eventually it gets to a point where uh, I notice that I need to read about this and I have to see what's going on. And I just noticed that because who wouldn't want this? This sounds really great. The Equality Act. Like, it sounds great. It's being framed a certain way. It's being framed a certain way. And then I start to read about it, and I try to filter it through the goodness of God. And I'm like, there's some wonky stuff here. Like, this, this is weird. Because it's a bunch of stuff that I would absolutely be okay with. But then there's a bunch of stuff getting just drug in with it as well that are completely against kingdom of God stuff. And I, I have no idea how to, you know, how to deal with that or how to lead um, anybody else. I don't know enough. I'm not any kind of expert on it. What I'm seeing is that there's a, um, there's a, a thing being challenged right now about the goodness of God and the truth of God. And so I know it'll be harsh for certain people to hear, and that, that's okay, um, because I'm okay with, with bringing up the truth about, you know, who God is and what he says. One of the things that God says is I created them, male and female, I created them. And so now there's this war that's taking place right now that is challenging who God is and who he says we are and how we've been made in his image and his likeness. And, you know, this has nothing to do with, um, you know, treating people poorly or anything. Like, I, I love this thought of equality for all. And then I read it. I'm like, yeah, but they're trying to, they're kind of trying to drag the Lord that I love through the mud with it. And that's not okay, and how are we supposed to respond to it? And what are we supposed to do? I'm only mentioning it because I'm, the thing I've recognized more than ever over the past few years is we're being drawn into a, a cultural shift and a culture war right now. And it's going to take serious prayer and thought, contemplation. Um, it's going to take serious love and grace. It's going to take serious patience. And it's going to take